that was the only thing I could think of to say to these patients to help me feel better about what I was doing. And also, you know, to be an advocate for the patient and knowing that their family couldn't be there before I put them to sleep. I just felt like I just wanted a minute to just tell them that we were going to work hard for them. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. So did you know a physician anesthesiologist is not the only one that can provide anesthesia for patients? There's different degrees and professions that can allow you to provide anesthesia. There's an MD degree or DO degree where you can eventually become a physician anesthesiologist. There's uh, someone who gets a DDS degree or a DMD degree, which uh, is a dentist, uh, uh, which could be a dentist anesthesiologist. And then there's a nurse, uh, a nurse anesthetist, otherwise known as a CRNA, which stands for Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetist. CRNAs are a very integral part of the healthcare system. Some hospitals and organizations use them more than others. And we're going to learn how they work in various situations depending on the institution. And you'll see how some of uh, the nurse CRNAs, depending on the situation and the region of the country, can also work independently, apart from an anesthesiologist. Uh, Depending on the the situation or the community or the state, some CRNAs have to work under the auspices of a physician and some do not. So it depends on what part of the country you're in. So today's guest is a CRNA, and her name is Heather Angus. She went to college at West Virginia University, where she got her nursing degree. As a nurse, she worked at Johns Hopkins Hospital in the ER department. She also worked for American Mobile Healthcare, where she traveled for several years across the country. She also worked at a burn ICU nurse at uh, Tampa General Hospital. Eventually, she went on to Columbia University, where she earned her CRNA degree, which is a Master's of Science degree. Since graduating from CRNA school, she has been working at Mount Sinai Hospital for the last seven years. Utilizing her nursing degree, she has traveled with Global Smile Foundation, and we're going to learn a little bit later in this episode of what she does for them. And just let me give you some heads up that you're going to hear some a little bit of background and ambient noise as um, you'll be hearing a little bit of uh, a helicopter and motorcycle noise, and especially a occasional dog barking. Uh, hence the city life uh, here in New York City. So please forgive me for this um, ambient noise, and I still hope you enjoy the podcast. All right, so let's dive into this great conversation with Heather. Heather, welcome to the episode. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for the invite. <laughs> <laughs> I am very happy that you're part of this. I'm glad you even said hello and okay because we haven't talked to each other, well, until recently for like years. Yeah, it's been a while. You left Mount Sinai uh, and then I just hear from you about this. Yeah. Well, I left Mount Sinai in 2016, so it was at least four years. Listen, thanks for joining. I want to uh, learn about what your career is all about. So could you tell me what a CRNA is? So a CRNA is a Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetist. So that basically means you received a bachelor's degree, either by a two-year program or four-year program, and then you have at least one to two years of critical care experience. 
And then you apply and you're accepted into a program that's a master's degree program. And depending on the program, it could be either a master's or it can be a doctorate program. So it could be anywhere from three to four years postgraduate education. So you have your undergrad degree and bachelor's, and then you go back to school for a master's or a doctorate. And what does a CRNA do? So a CRNA is responsible for giving anesthetics for surgical patients. So we basically will do evaluations of the patients. You'll set up the anesthesia room. You'll provide the anesthetic and, you know, you follow the patient from beginning to end. And depending on which state you're in, you could be doing that independently or you're doing it under the supervision of an anesthesiologist. And what kind of patients do you take care of as a CRNA? Is it only certain ages, only certain healthy or non-healthy patients? So you're basically trained to treat any kind of patients as far as open heart procedures, pediatric patients, pregnant patients, just general patients or any kind of surgery. So during your training in the you know, three to four years that you receive in your graduate education, you will have different rotations to treat any kind of patient that needs surgery. And what kind of patients do you take care of at Mount Sinai in your regular day-to-day? On a regular day-to-day, it could be any kind of procedure for like endoscopy, OB, obstetrics patients, general surgeries. We also are in the electrophysiology lab, so that's for any kind of heart procedures. At Mount Sinai, we don't do anesthesia for open heart, and we do not do, we do some transplants, but not all transplant patients. So what you do as a CRNA can vary based on the institution that you're working at. Correct. Correct. So for example, even though a hospital may do certain procedures, sometimes they may not have the nurse anesthetist do those procedures. Yeah. So just like our physician colleagues, we call them anesthesia residents. Just as when we went to school for CRNA, we need to have a certain amount of cases to graduate. So depending on the institution, if you're in a teaching facility, the anesthesia residents also need to receive those numbers. So they need to obtain the experience that they need to graduate as well. So we're a good adjunct to the anesthesia department to help you know, the residents get all of the cases that they need to graduate, just like we did during our training. Heather, what's your typical day like as a CRNA? Like what time you wake up? You know, what's your day like? Do you get lunch? You know, what's, how does that kind of day kind of play out usually? Well, my day has to start with coffee. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, anesthesia is a very vigilant career. You need to be well-rested and caffeinated, at least for me. Mm -hmm. One cup or five cups? Well, I'm up to three. So that's oh, three. <laughs> All right. Three a day. Got it. Yeah. Three a day. So basically, I'll know what my patients are the night before. And when I get to Mount Sinai, I will go to the pharmacy, collect the drugs I know I need for the procedures I'm doing. I'll set up the room, the operating room with the anesthesia supplies. And then I will go and talk to my patient. So talking to my patient is probably my favorite part of my job. I'm a big talker. So I feel like you have to establish a rapport and trust in your patient very quickly in anesthesia, which is very different from, you know, past nursing careers that I've been in. So within, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, getting a good idea about your patient, their history, um, all the medications they're on. And then also knowing how to apply that to give a safe, effective anesthetic for their procedure. So talking to the patient and then we'll bring the patients into the room and then 
place an IV, which is just basically putting an intravenous in to be able to give your drugs. In that time frame, I try to make them feel less anxiety as much as I can. So usually I will do a technique where I call it the vacation technique, where I talk about their last vacation or where they would like to go to. Because I do find sometimes patients wake up and they feel like they went on the vacation that they that they're going to go on. One patient was talking about surfing before he went to sleep. And then when I woke him up, he was like, I actually went surfing and it was the most relaxing dream of my life. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I feel like sometimes you'll hear people say people wake up the same way they fell asleep. So I try to distract, talk their ear off about something nice. Mm. And then, you know, putting them to sleep, you would put them to sleep with the medications as you're giving them some oxygen. And then you would insert a breathing device once they're asleep. Right. And during the surgery, you are maintaining just anesthesia depth for the procedure. And then at the end, you wake them up, basically starting to turn off all the anesthesia as the surgery is finishing and then having a smooth awakening. And most people don't even remember waking up. They remember just being in the recovery room and asking when the procedure is going to start. So yeah, I never tried the vacation technique. I often found most patients don't remember much at all under anesthesia. Yeah, most patients don't remember most at all. But I've had patients seriously wake up and say that was like a very relaxing dream. I actually went where we talked about. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I got to start using that. You have the patients that say, oh, am I counting back from 100? And I say, no, like, yeah. I don't know, unless you like math. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never tried that either. Is there any moment that you remember recently or even for a while that a heroin experience as a CRNA? I mean, normally as a nurse anesthetist or a CRNA, we are giving anesthesia for surgeries. But as everyone knows, elective surgeries were, you know, put on hold because we needed all of the beds available in the hospital, which was definitely a thing at Mount Sinai. We made all of the different floors COVID patients because there were just so many. So obviously the nurse anesthetist needed to be rerouted to where we were needed which a lot of us went to different ICUs that they had formed for all the coronavirus patients. And about five or six of us went to the rapid response team. So the rapid response team is a team for the hospital that responds to anybody that is not doing well. They're decompensating. The nurses or the doctors feel like they need a second look to see, okay, does this patient need a breathing device or another modality that may try to help get them along with the virus as far as treating it. So I was on that team. Um, And unfortunately, there were a lot of patients that we had to intubate, which is basically putting the breathing device in that their respiratory process was so compromised that they needed a breathing device. So the harrowing experience for me was going into a patient's room, seeing them so decompensated that they needed a breathing device and then realizing, okay, the, you know, the statistics on surviving intubation was so low that I may be the last person that this person sees because like the families were not in the room. So when I realized this was going to be my role, I tried to think of something to say to the patient that maybe would last in their mind. And so when I would go into the room, I would tell them, you're not breathing well right now. We're going to do our best to help you. We're going to put you to sleep and start a breathing device. But while you're asleep, know that we're going to work very hard to try to get you off of the breathing machine and just fight for it as well. And that was the only thing I could think of 
to say to these patients to help me feel better about what I was doing and also, you know, to be an advocate for the patient and knowing that their family couldn't be there before I put them to sleep. I just felt like I just wanted a minute to just tell them that we were going to work hard for them. And being a nurse anesthetist, we have a lot of skills that were so necessary around the hospital. We, You have to have a critical care background, which means yeah. we've all worked in an intensive care unit where patients are critical. You run a lot of infusions. So infusions are medications that need to be ran throughout your shift. How to titrate them, which means does a patient need more? Does a patient need less to go up and down on an infusion? We are experienced with the ventilators. We're experienced with sedation. So once you put in a breathing device, the patient needs to be sedated to be able to help their respiratory system and interpret different lab values. So we were very, very helpful during the crisis because we had a lot of ICU nurses, but not enough. We had floor nurses taking care of patients that they hadn't taken care of before. So we were placed in units to help with the floor nurses to be able to manage these patients. So during coronavirus, nurse anesthetists were very helpful. And some people managed patients in the ICU unit. And then, of course, we had a couple nurse anesthetists that managed the operating rooms for the coronavirus patients because once someone was diagnosed with coronavirus, they still needed surgeries as well. So emergency surgeries were still being performed during that time. And we had nurse anesthetists still managing those procedures as well. Thanks for sharing that. Can you tell me an instance where pre-COVID, you were helping a patient that you felt you had a really strong impact on, on that patient's care? A few patients I've had similar to this experience where they had anesthesia in the past and had you know, a very terrible experience. Either they woke up nausea, vomiting, or they were very anxious going in because of the worried. I mean, I feel like in our job, we're not meeting people on the best day of their life. It's usually they have something going on. They're anxious. And, you know, everybody's blood pressure is about 20% higher than, you know, normal whenever they come into the operating room. So I remember one patient was very nervous in the preoperative area. That's where you talk to them before they come in for the procedure. She was shaking. She was nervous. She had a bad experience in the past. So during that, you know, 10 to 15 minute, you try to instill some kind of trust in your patient. She came back to the room, very anxious, crying. And so once I placed her IV, I gave her some medication to help her relax. And then I have Pandora on my phone, the Pandora Unlimited. So there's no commercials. But I asked her, what is your like favorite music station? Who is your favorite artist? And so... She loved country music, which I love country music. So we started listening to country music as, you know, everybody was getting ready for the surgery and getting prepared. I was a little delayed. I think they were looking for one more thing before we could put the patient to sleep. So the surgeon walked into the room and said, what is going on here? She was so nervous before. And now she's like singing country music. And I was like, well, I think music and a little medication and you know it helps people along and it also makes everybody else feel good about a patient before they go off to sleep were you singing along with her no that would cause a nightmare (laughs) (laughs) that's great you put her at ease and sometimes it's not just about medications it's everything else the conversation the ambiance the music right i think i mean an anesthesia there it's definitely a science you know and there's a lot of great areas in the science so 
when you're a student as a nurse anesthetist, you'll work with different people all the time and everybody has, this is how I do it. This is the reason why I do it. I want you to do it like this. And it can be anywhere from like the drugs you're infusing during surgery, or it could be like how they tape the eyes shut for the surgery. So, you know, there's a lot of gray areas in anesthesia. You just have to roll with it. But there is an art to it, I think, as well, where you don't want to just think of the patient as a surgery. You want to think of the patient as who they are, what they're there for, maybe what they're going through. And, you know, I still have my empathy for my patients, which has never changed. That's awesome. What is your favorite part of your job? My favorite part is when the patient wakes up, they're not in pain, they're super comfortable. And, you know, they'll wake up and say, oh, when are we starting the procedure? Like that, a very smooth awakening and then to be comfortable in the recovery room is my favorite part. What kind of misconceptions do people have about your career? Not very often, but sometimes I hear, I don't want a nurse giving my anesthesia. I want a doctor. And if you're a nurse, how can you be giving anesthesia? I've been a nurse anesthetist for almost seven years, and maybe I've heard that a handful of times. Most of the public are aware that nurses and doctors can give anesthesia. But whenever I hear that, I try to explain, you know, this is, I have seven years of education. I have 10 years of experience as a nurse. And then, you know, seven years of nurse anesthesia experience. So I tried to explain, you know, and of course I wouldn't make a patient have a nurse anesthetist if they're not comfortable. So usually I'll go tell the anesthesiologist that I'm working with what's happening and what we can do about it. Because a lot of times, at least at Mount Sinai, one anesthesiologist could be covering one to three of us. So it's impossible for the patient to have their own anesthesiologist for the procedure. So I tried to explain it as best as possible. So that could be a misconception. And then also some people think that the anesthesiologist starts the case, gives all the medications, puts the breathing tube in, and then we just sit there during the procedure. But what happens is we work together and basically bring the patient in the room. They're there for the important part of the procedure, putting in the breathing tube, taking out the breathing tube and any emergency parts of the case. But we actually put in the breathing device. We're there to maintain anesthesia and you know, we're there to take out the breathing device as well. I'm sure that must be frustrating sometimes when patients say that though. I'm not frustrated. I think, you know, I feel the same way when I go to take my car to the mechanic. I have no idea what they're saying or doing. So I feel like for patients to question or be concerned or just sort of ask the question, it doesn't frustrate me. I guess it makes me feel like, okay, I feel the same way when I'm doing something I don't normally do as well. You know, something that I'm not knowledgeable about. Yeah, I have no idea who's doing what, what this means when the car makes the sound. So if someone asks me, I'm empathetic to what their question is and just try to resolve it in whatever way we can, which sometimes actually means, okay, someone explains to them, you know, we don't have an extra anesthesiologist just to give you your anesthetic, you know, are you okay with proceeding? Because there is no way we can rearrange the schedule for this. Right, right. What's your work-life balance like? Well, anyone that knows me knows that I travel a lot. (laughs) I work 39 hours a week, so three 13-hour shifts. And so that leaves four days a week off. And I balance out my life. I'm active. I do triathlons, marathons. I travel a lot. So I work hard and play hard. So I feel like I'm very balanced in that way. And then what time does your day usually start? I know I had this at the beginning. I forgot to ask you again, but... When your typical day, what time do you start? When do you arrive in the hospital? And when do you usually leave? Most cases start at 8 a.m. 
So I arrive at the hospital at 7 a.m. And that's the time to go set up the room, get all the drugs that I need for the day. And it ends at 7.45. So we do get three breaks throughout the shift. Is that pretty standard you find for a lot of other CRNAs in your profession? I'm not sure. I mean, some of my friends at other hospitals, they have a little bit longer lunch break and maybe a longer afternoon break. I think that varies from institution. But some people work a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. shift. There's a variety of different shifts available. Okay. Shifting gears a little bit, do you recommend this career for other students? I feel like this career is a great career if you're dedicated, motivated. You're getting into a career that you've researched. I have people shadow me at Mount Sinai. And actually, the other day, I met with someone who shadowed me a year ago. We ran into each other when I was going to all the floors for the rapid response team during coronavirus. And she remembered me and she told me that she's applying to Columbia and sent me her essays so I could review them. And we had dinner the other night and she's going for it. So. She's also been a nurse. Uh, yeah, she's been a nurse. Look at you. I know. Inspiring I, other young I people. No I'm <laughs> people. I'm honest when people shadow me. Just like I, you know, was working in the burn ICU for a couple of years. And one of the nurse anesthetists asked me, yeah. uh, why didn't you go into nurse anesthesia? And I was saying, I have no idea what you do because I was an ER nurse for eight years and then an ICU nurse for two years. So I was not exposed to what nurse anesthetists do. So he had me shadow him in the OR for a patient that was, oh, she was like 80% burned. So it was a uh, very long case. And I watched how he managed the case. Wow. Working in the burn ICU, I felt almost like I was giving anesthesia all day anyways, because it's a very painful problem for these patients. I mean, I felt like it was a natural progression because I had been a nurse for 10 years. I like critical care. I felt like I had gotten to the point where if I'm going to do something, my route's either nurse practitioner or it's nurse anesthetist. And I like sort of fast-paced adrenaline. So that's why I decided, okay, it's been 10 years since I've been out of school. I'm going to take an advanced pharmacology and advanced physiology right. class before I apply just to make sure I can actually learn again back in school. And I had to buy a computer because before that I was writing notes. Now I was taking all my notes on the computer. I got A's in both courses. And then I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. So I applied to Columbia, got in. But I really researched the career, made sure it was a good choice for me. I tell people when they shadow me, you learn an in-depth knowledge of a lot of things and you become more autonomous in your career. So, you know, you don't have to like page your anesthesiologist to, to be able to give a pain medication. You are giving medication. Some of the cons is, you know, I went to Columbia, so, you know, that was my choice, but that was very expensive to be in New York City right. in graduate school. And you are not supposed to work. There are people that pick up shifts here and there just to support themselves, but you're living in a very expensive city, going to an expensive school. You know, I was excited to get out of school and then I was not excited when I saw my student loan. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to minimize, you know, try to save up as much money as possible. Are you still paying your student loans off? Yes, I am. Uh I decided to get in the public loan forgiveness program, which is a great program. You pay for 10 years and after 
10 years, whatever's left over is forgiven. So I got into that. You basically just have to work full-time at a nonprofit hospital for 10 years. You know, there's some paperwork you have to do yearly just to show proof that you're actually at a nonprofit hospital. Got it. So it seems like you had this one interaction with this nurse that kind of nudged you towards being a CRNA. But what was the reason you even became a nurse? Was that something you wanted to do when you were younger? That started when I was very little. My grandmother, when I was born, she was diagnosed with breast cancer that year. So as I was growing up, she would always tell me that you're going to be my little nurse. And I guess what happened was she was very poor, wanted to be a nurse, but didn't have the money to do so. So all throughout school thought, okay, I'm going to be a nurse. I will be a nurse one day. And I did very well in all my biology courses in high school. And my biology teacher told me, you can do whatever you want to do. You're very intelligent. You want to be a doctor, you can be a doctor. And I said, no, I'm going to be a nurse. My grandmother told me I'm going to be a nurse. So mm. I applied to nursing school at West Virginia University, started taking all the pre-nursing courses. And then halfway through my first year, I was like, am I really wanting to be a nurse? Because someone told me to be a nurse. So I decided to try physical therapy. Okay, maybe I'll be a physical therapist. I shadow a physical therapist a few days and I said, oh no, I can't do this. This is not for me. And then I thought, okay, I like to exercise. So maybe exercise physiology. So I took exercise physiology course. And then I realized how hard it would be oh, really? to find a career and support myself. And then my roommate that year was in nursing school already. And she was like, Heather, just go to nursing school. You can live wherever you want. You never have to worry about supporting yourself you would be an excellent nurse. And so I was like, yeah, you're right. This is definitely what I need to do. So that's what I did. I only had one year where I sort of was floundering and what I wanted to do. So I didn't really lose that much time. But I'm glad I sort of just went through the different motions of making sure this is what I want to do. Did your grandmother get to see you graduate from nursing school? She got to see me graduate from nursing school. And then they helped me move into Baltimore where I got my first job at Johns Hopkins. Oh, yeah. Your grandmother did that? She was very proud. Yeah, she was very proud. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. How competitive would you say it is to get into CRNA school? It's very competitive. The requirements when I was going to Columbia, it was only based on your letters of recommendation, your experience, your GRE score. They did not have an interview, so there was no interview involved. But now currently... I think, I believe there's three essays, a video interview. There's a lot of things to get at. But my class was very small. I think there was 25 people and there were hundreds of applicants. Wow. Very sought after. Right. Wow. What do you think the future outlook is like for your profession? I believe our career has a bright future. I feel like there are so many anesthetics that need to be given around the country at all times. Even the you know smaller communities that may... Mm -hmm not have as many anesthesia providers. There's a lot of nurse anesthetists to provide those anesthetics. So I don't feel like there'll ever be a time where we're not needed or necessary. And with that, basically the addition of the doctorate programs, I feel like a lot of people are going into that for their doctorates, you know, to do other things as a nurse anesthetist, which I think is a positive. Got it. And reflecting back, what would you have done differently? I Look back at what I've done, you know, and like I question myself. Some of my friends are in their 20s and they became nurse anesthetists in their 20s. And I believe what I did was the right course for me that I 
was a nurse for 10 years. I've obtained a lot of experiences on the job training with, you know, emergency room patients. I traveled for four years as an ER nurse, emergency room nurse. So I saw many different institutions, how they do things, different kinds of patients. So I feel like I built on any kind of experience that I use now in my job right currently. Well, you also talked about, and we talked about this before the recording, is you're talking about your volunteerism and you love to travel. And are you using those skills as a volunteer when you travel to other countries? Yes. So when I was a burn ICU nurse, a physician that I used to work with at Mass General in the ER contacted me one day and said, oh, would you want to do a mission trip one day? And I said, yes, I would love to. And he was like, okay, well, it's a pediatric mission trip. It's cleft lip and cleft palate. And I can let the guy know about you and he can call and interview tonight. And I was like, well, I don't do pediatrics, which is, you know, the younger population. And I don't do surgeries. I've only been an ER nurse. And I have no idea what I'd be doing. And he's like, don't worry about it. He just told me I have 24 hours to find someone who is a great team player, easy to get along with, educated, um, can go with the flow. And they're leaving for Peru on Friday. And this was a Monday. <laughs> and I said, okay. Um, he goes, yes, you need someone to run the research project. And I was like, I don't even do research. I, I had done <laughs> one research project with a couple, with an ER physician and cardiologist at Hopkins. But I thought this is like totally out of my realm of what I do, but I can learn anything if someone shows me and, you know, gives me the information, I can figure right. it out. So that night, the head of the Global Smile Foundation called me, asked me a bunch of questions and everything was set up. Okay, I'll take you. All right. I need, you know, a list of like 10 documents he needed that night. And then I said, look, all of this is going to be fine, but I have to ask my nurse manager tomorrow. And um, I have no idea what she's going to say. I mean, the schedule's already out for months. And so he was like, okay, let me know tomorrow. So I went to work. I went into my nurse manager's office and I was super nervous because I was worried that she would say no. So I walk in and I say, Lori, I was asked to go on this pediatric mission and I think it would look really good on our uh, hospital if you let me go. And I know that it's uh, really soon, right. but it's on Friday. Can you let me know today? And she looked at me like I had three heads and was like, let me think about it. So then I was sitting in the ICU and one of the techs that works with me, she prays a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, Edna, I was like, we have to say a prayer right now. I was like, we have to pray that Lori lets me go on this trip because I really want to volunteer and I think it would be a great experience. I really want to go help people. So in the middle of the ICU, Edna started praying with me. And then about an hour later, my nurse manager called and said, fine, I'll let you go. So that's how it started. Oh, look at that. Yeah. It started like that. So I did their research on the first mission. He asked me to go back on another mission. And so I went as a preoperative nurse. That's when I decided to go to anesthesia school. So he let me go as an anesthesia tech and then another time a sedation nurse. And then he's asked me to go to Ecuador in March uh, as part of my anesthesia. So I would be anesthesia personnel. But I did go on a mission trip with another company, ISMS. And I gave anesthesia in Guatemala and they invited a Columbia student along. So I was her chaperone, which she was very independent and very intelligent, very smart. So I felt like I was there as a backup. But it's such an amazing experience to go to these different countries and provide care for people that live in poverty or, you know, the government's not giving them uh, operating days, 
you know, appointment and we go in and we do an excellent job and we provide follow-up and it actually just feeds your soul. It reminds you of why you got into your career of helping others. Well, that's great. I'm glad Edna helped pray for you. Yeah, and Edna started <laughs> everything for me. <laughs> Well, that's great. I seriously, you also, when you do these missions, you are really helping people who really could use these kind of advanced services and skills. And you're able to bring that. And it's good that as you progress in your skill set, you actually will provide even a higher skill set to these areas that you're going to. Yeah. I mean, that's another positive to our careers. The more you learn, the more you're able to help out in different roles. So I could be a pre-operative nurse. I can be a PACU nurse. I can be a the only thing I can't do is scrub in and be a surgical nurse because I'm not sure what instruments they're using and that kind of thing. But it's good to have mm-hmm. different roles that you can right. help out with on a mission trip because everything is so necessary. Heather, where can listeners go to reach you and learn more about you if they want to reach out to you? They could definitely reach me at my work email. It's heather.angus at mountsinai.org. And finally... I like to end with a fun segment called Dr. Martin's Lightning Round. Okay. All right. I've had two cups of coffee, so I'm ready. All right. All right. So, big dogs or small dogs? Big dogs. Would you rather cuddle with a baby panda or baby penguin? Oh, I love the way penguins walk. So, penguins. Okay. If there was a hair in your soup at a restaurant, would you return it? Depends on where I was. If I was in a place where, you know, that would be frowned upon, I would be okay. If I was like in Guatemala, I would not return it. But maybe if I'm in New York City, I would. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the setting matters. Got it. Do you currently own any stuffed animals? No. Who inspires you? Oh, that's a good question. I can't even tell you. That's a good question. There are a lot of people that inspire me. I guess it's, you know, I'm really inspired by people that make it. You know, they're not giving as many opportunities as they're younger. And then, you know, they're able to be successful. So I don't know if I can pick one single person, but I did love Obama. (laughs) There you go. When people stand up for a standing ovation, are you usually one of the earlier people to stand up or one of the later? If it was amazing, yes, I would stand up early. What's your favorite clothing brand? Anything campy, like any kind of REI stuff, like Columbia, Patagonia, anything like that. That's my favorite. That's my favorite store. Can you say something about yourself that most people at your workplace would not know about you? People probably don't know how active I am. I mean, other than I ran the New York City Marathon last year. So I did ask some people for some contributions because I did it for a charity team. But I would say most people don't realize that. But you do at triathletes. And- I did a triathlon last year, too. That's awesome. That's intense. And finally, what's something you could eat for a week straight? Uh, pizza. Pizza. Any type of pizza? Lots of vegetables with basil and garlic. Heather, thank you so much for joining me on this session. I really appreciate it. No, oh, thanks for the invite. I'm happy to do it. All right, everybody. That's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.